Welcome to episode six of the Charity Leaders podcast. This week you find us talking to actor turned charity leader Mike Ward. Mike's always been passionate about helping young people so the move into a charity and not-for-profit space was an obvious one for him. Mike's the CEO of KM Charity Team which delivers literacy, road safety and walk-to-school initiatives to support schools, families and children. Over 17,000 children have benefited from the road safety initiatives and more than 30 million minutes of reading have been recorded with their literacy efforts. Today's show, Mike's going to talk all about lockdown, how it forced them to reflect and put in place a strategy for the future and convert the charity to be digital first. I love Mike's mission, not just to help with problems, but to actually prevent them from happening in the first place. Like so many charity leaders, he's on a mission to make himself completely redundant. I hope you enjoy our chat today. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Great. Thank you for having me. Um, So the first thing I think I'd love to talk about is how did you get to where you are today? How did you become a leader in the charity sector um, I, I, I've been in a sort of education and the charity sector, not-for-profit sector for many years, um, um, starting in Australia for about 17 years and then um, back in the UK for the last 10 years. Um, I've worked for quite a number of charities in uh, London, mainly as um, in the fundraising sector, but uh, predominantly with young people uh, who have had issues um, and then uh, I guess working for organisations trying to help them with those issues. Um, so, for example, at the uh, Young Lewisham Project, we worked with young people who had either been through the criminal justice system or in Prus or what have you, and they'd come to us for one or two days a week working on projects around motorbikes or bikes or woodwork or, or giving them something different and then basically realising, well, they don't have learning difficulties they just learn differently and and giving them boundaries as well and that sort of stuff so so that's where my passion has always been was it always a goal to work in the charitable sector or is it something you kind of fell into uh, no it was it was very much something that I did fall into um, I, I trained many years ago as an actor at the Royal Scottish Academy um, of music and drama so uh, yeah it, it was um <sighs> I guess the charity sector or the not-for-profit sector came out of me starting off in the education sector. I, I, I went to Australia for a friend's wedding. I ended up staying for 17 years. Um, and uh, my first job over there was uh, working in the University of New South Wales teaching English. And, that's, that, and so it wasn't so much the charity sector as young people and that kind of area um and uh, yeah so that that's where it all comes from really so it's really about more about you're inspired to work with younger people than that it was to work for a yeah. charity or to work in the not-for-profit area um yeah it is I, it, in in saying that i i did have a, a very short stint with the new south wales government and um that was very dis- disillusioning, shall we say. Um, that wasn't my bag at all. Um, so in the charity sector, I guess it just gives you the freedom to be able to actually do stuff rather than having to um, sort of get through a load of red tape or tick these boxes or that boxes. You, you can actually, I guess, talk less and do more. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a massive um, advantage from, especially with you know, in a smaller business or a charity, being able to actually affect change and do things and see that 
see that benefit see the benefit you have on other people is such a so much more rewarding than as you say working in government or somewhere where you're you're just making tiny tiny adjustments to a giant ocean liner that's you know it's gonna take a long time before you see those results absolutely mm. so tell me a bit about what makes uh, km charity team special well, for me, um, I, I, like I said, for, from where, where I've come from, what, what attracted to me to me to the organisation was it was very much about working with kids as um, an early intervention. So trying to um, sort of give them develop tools, etc., that will stop the things happening in the future, um, which, which is challenging. And I don't have a crystal ball, but essentially one, one of the issues that I, one of the things I've always noticed in the past with the kids that I've worked with prior is that um, an awful lot of them have very low literacy levels, for example. So we have our Busters book club program. And that is very much working with primary school children to help them get their reading levels to a level where they can participate fully when they transition into secondary school. Uh, and it is after that transition program that things, if they're going to go wrong, then that's when they're going to go wrong, basically. Uh, and it is, it, it's a program about, um, uh, it gives children permission to read whatever they want to read. So that, that there is a lot of talk about reading for pleasure and this kind of thing, whereas, and yes, we want them to enjoy it and it would be great if they all picked up Harry Potter and loved it. But at the end of the day, it really is about being able to have the ability to functionally read in life. So um, I've got a perfect example. One of my team actually was struggling with her young lad. He, he, he just wasn't interested in reading at all. But what he was interested in, we're in the country. Um, he had chickens and she bought him a couple of books on chickens. She can't get the book away from him. So it, it's actually giving kids permission to read whatever they want to read. And so one day a week, what we do, what they do is that they, they basically read whatever it is. And it could be the recipe, helping mum cook dinner or, or even the instructions on the back of the pizza box. Um, and then you count the minutes and they record how many minutes are left. They go back into class. All those minutes are collated um, for uh, sort of an internal competition in the school. But then the school's results are all collated. And then that's sort of a regional competition and they can win prizes, for example, like um, visits from Mr. Maker, who will do a story time when we're allowed to do yeah. visits, that is. Or um, we'll send them a batch of books. Or, or things like that so it's it's really that co competitive element which is really important for boys in particular at that age and um and boys do tend to have bigger issues with reading and what have you so it it, it really is about creating that environment and the other thing i i guess what makes it special uh, and that is the most important thing is the fact that they can read whatever they want because i think a lot of people don't realize when you're asking kids to, and parents to read at home, there are so many different issues and barriers that might be there. One, they might not have a book at home. A lot of people don't have books. Two, English might be their second language and it's not spoken at home at all. So giving them that permission to read whatever and do whatever is really important. So that's just one of our programmes. Um, and, and I just think that it's, it's, it's so much more needed at the moment with so many kids have missed so much education the charities like ours and we're not alone there are others out there as well um are, are just going to be needed more and more as time goes on
Yeah, I think that's really fantastic. And it's something you said earlier about the fact that deprivation doesn't have a postcode. And I think that's something that's it's no. quite hard for a lot of people to imagine. As you said before, houses, people don't have books. People get in their little bubbles and they, they imagine that all the world is exactly the way they're, you know, the way it is for them. And it's sometimes quite hard to picture that that situation where you know people have really struggled especially over the last year not having access to a lot of the things that you would have if you were in school as well yeah and i, I think the program as well by by giving it that sort of permission um it, it also helps the parents and the carers as well because they I mean, people live busy lives, but that they can they what we're asking them to do is just introducing the functionality of their lives into. So we're not asking for special time. We're just asking them to actually do it as normal life. I, I, I want every kid to be able to, um, I don't know, re read the manual to program the, the um, television, for example. Um, if they can do that, then because as they go through life, not all of them are going to want to pick up Harry Potter. <laughs> but they will all have to read. They will all have to have the ability to read. So it doesn't matter what they read. Um, but if they want to read Harry Potter, that's fantastic too. Yeah, yeah, everyone should read Harry Potter. Um, yeah. But no, I, I love that. No, I love the practical the practical nature of what you're saying there, that it's not, it isn't about having to read, you know, huge, great texts or anything like that. It's about that really, really tangible, practical way of doing it and giving people permission to not just say, oh, I can't, you know, I, yeah, I don't have that access to this, but you, you said before reading the instructions to a manual, reading the instructions on the back of a, of a pizza box or some food or anything like that. This is such a practical way of getting people to engage with the process if they feel that there is a bit of a disconnect. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it, it's all about making it inclusive as well um, and making it open for everybody and also removing that. I mean, I remember as a kid, I, I did like reading, um, but I didn't like reading the books that they told me to read. Um, so, so giving them permission to read what they're interested in as well. And I mean, that, that's a theme throughout everything we do. Our other major program is our um, it's an environmental program to try and reduce emissions around school gates. And again, really simple, but involves families as well. What we do is one day a week, just ask them to leave the car at home and walk to school. Um, and, and that it's, it really is as simple as that. Or get off the bus two stops before and walk the other distance. So that's tackling childhood obesity. It's tackling emissions. It's also um, one of the feedback we've got is that teachers say when the kids are doing this, they're much more invigorated when they get there because they've had um, a bit of exercise. And it's really, really simple. But it is also introducing, again, early intervention into the idea of the environment and what they can do. Um, and I guess one of the things that we do, and this is all very new for me as well. I mean, I, I did tell you that I, I um, in the past, I've always worked with sort of um, secondary school kids uh, that have already got issues. But now it, it is about that early intervention and just getting them involved. And um, yeah, I, I suppose just, it's, I can't think what, what I'm trying to say here, but it, it, it's getting them involved at an early stage, getting them that consciousness um, to be able to carry that forward because it's all, all about choices. Everything we do in life is choice. And so it's giving them the information to be able to make informed decisions um, and what they do with it later on, it, that is entirely up.
Yeah, I love, and I love both both those examples there. They're all about simplicity. There's nothing complicated about those two yeah. campaigns. They're, they're really straightforward, but they have so many varied benefits. And I think that's that's a really you know fantastic thing about both of those. Tell me about the consequences, though. Like you said before about you've previously worked in higher education you, and you've dealt with people who have come in and they've already got the challenges that are faced. They already have those opportunities reduced, ultimately. What what are the consequences of not being able to read, of not being able to to make those those progression earlier on in people's lives? Uh, well, if if a child goes into secondary school with the inability to be able to read, I think people say, well, they might be good at maths, but if they can't read the maths problem, they can't do the maths problem because they don't they don't know what's being asked of them. Um, but the, I, I guess the major consequence is, is that. They need to have an outlet, um, and we see it in adult literacy as well. People who can't read, they, they learn, they learn to disguise it. They learn to hide it. Now, with young people, what that would tend to mean, um, in a lot of cases, they act up, they behave badly, they they um, they grab attention, or, or they they make attention for themselves to deflect on what the real issue is. Now, um, it's very easy for people to say, oh, well, the teacher should be doing that. The teacher's got another 30 kids in the class. She has a duty of care to all of them. So, yes, and, and I, I do think there is too much of let's just stick them in a PRU. But I also do completely understand from an education system that they, 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 need, they need help. And, and schools don't have enough um, help involved in that. So, so the likes of not being able to read affects their whole journey, their whole educational journey. And if we go on from that, then, um, I mean, it's cyclical as well. Uh, it, it, it's um, that there are higher levels of um, literacy problems in more deprived areas, which will then cycle and it will just continue. So, so in that respect, it, it's an issue. And it is just such a basic fundamental thing that we, many of us take for granted um, and the vast majority of us and um, uh, yeah being in Kent uh, as opposed to being in London is, is, is a very different world um, and it's a different attitude because um, in my role I meet a lot of um, people and uh, well the majority of them will never have met any of the kids that I've worked with in the past and, and, and generally speaking don't even know they exist because it's never impacted so, yeah, I, I do tend to like using the shock tactic, um, but purely simply because it's, it's reality, mm. it, just because you don't know it exists. Um, I mean, I have one example of this, um, and I, it, it is ignorance, but it's not it's not purposeful ignorance. It, it's, it's people doing the right. But um, we, we when I first took over the charity, we used to give out vouchers as prizes. So there's a place down here called Leeds Castle, very beautiful, in the middle of nowhere, gorgeous. So we would give um, one of the children um, prior to me coming a voucher, which would admit the child and an adult. Um, and I had a feedback from one man, and, and she really did mean it well, but she said, well, you'd think they, they could give um, an, another adult price because, um, well, they're going to be making up anyway when they buy their sandwiches and when they buy their coffee. And I'm just sitting there thinking, actually, they've probably got three other kids at home. They can't get to Leeds Castle because it's in the middle of nowhere because they don't have a car. 
and they're buying their weekly groceries at a well they're not buying it they're getting the weekly groceries from a food bank so no they're not going to be spending money on a coffee and a sandwich because they can't and that just struck me when I first um, started in this role as it, she meant very well, but she didn't have a clue, basically. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people, I think there's a lot of ignorance around there that are people that don't have much, because it's never impacted on mm. their life. And so that's one of the things that I, I, I try to sort of um, get on my soapbox about a bit as well. So we've, we've stopped doing that anyway, because I describe that as, well, that's like giving a kid a Christmas present and then telling them they can never <laughs> open it. Because they just never use yeah. it. <laughs> so now it, it is class rewards or school rewards that, that they get. So it's inclusive. It's all about inclusivity. Yeah, great, great. So you mentioned before you started with um, KM Charity Team, January 2020. I imagine yes. you started with some big goals, big plans, and all the stuff that you were going to yeah. get done in 2020. And then uh, I imagine some of those went out the window a couple of months afterwards. Tell me a bit about how the last year and a half has been for you. Uh, well, surprisingly enough, a lot of the things that I wanted to do anyway was forced. We, we have to do it quicker. Um, one of the things that um, I, I wanted to get a handle on much more with it in a charity because um, it hadn't really done, was a lot of more... Uh, online marketing, getting our Facebook and social media and that kind of stuff. So that became a necessity. So, so we, we just had to do that. And um, so in, in a way, that was really good. Also, I have to say, and I think my team would agree with me, um, some of the some of, some of the working patterns of um, the team I, I had a few issues with. Um, it tended to be that pretty much everything we did was from say our fundraising events or what have you were all sandwiched between sort of February and um, June so it was a, and then the whole of the summer nothing really happened so I, I was all already saying well look guides we really need to do stuff during the summer that's our development time etc etc so there's a little bit of resistance to that but I was all, I've always been very keen on flexibility anyway uh, about homeworking etc so again, that was an issue that's been forced because we had to move things. So in, in a way, that made things easier. Obviously, the other challenges uh, have been um, I, I did have to lose some staff. Um, and that's certainly not something that I really wanted to do in my first year. Um, funding has been a real issue. Um, the majority of our we, we, we have a sort of a, two pot funding really um but the majority of it was sponsorship uh, from private sponsors quite obviously a lot of that stuff has has fallen off because as they quite rightly say we, we can't afford it we've got it and we get that as well um but then obviously most charities um get money from trusts and foundations too and a lot of those trusts and foundations had refocused their priorities towards um, sort of food banks and what have you, uh, and frontline stuff, which is completely understandable. So um, for the uh, over the past 15, 16 months, I mean, it, we're in a much better position than we were. But for those first six to eight months, it was very much month by month as to whether we would survive. Uh, we couldn't do we couldn't deliver any of our fundraising events. And we, uh, and we do about eight to ten every year. We couldn't do any of them. And they were all postponed. Um, 
we ended up doing a bike ride which was in September and that was the only thing that we did and, and it was I think people were just so desperate yeah. to get out but I have to say one of the things so it hasn't been all bad one of the great things has been my, my team have just been absolutely phenomenal um the way they've adapted and the way they've just got things done um i talk about the bike ride we we had to reinvent the whole thing we had we had to have um sort of restrictions on people and and they were just brilliant so they're bringing all that together so so that Although financially it's been challenging, we have got a lot done and we, we've developed things. Um, so even with our two programs, we, we've, met, we've had a bit of time to just take a breath uh, and look at it and, and re-streamline it, et cetera, um, uh, and just make sure it's more accessible. So yeah, it's been, it has been a huge challenge and sometimes it's been a little soul destroying as well um putting stuff out there so we went online and um we're, we're contacting the schools and we had members of the team dressing up in costumes and taking videos to run exercise and what have you and and just not getting any feedback so it, it's kind of like putting this out there and in the ether and is anybody doing it and so there were moments when the team still really needed to be motivated we had one that we did and um one mother sort of sent us an email and said, blah, blah, blah. And that in itself, we, we knew people were watching because we could see the figures of them clicking on the website or what have you. But that one thing made such a huge difference to the team saying, well, look, we, we have impacted on one child's life and that's enough. That, that's okay. Um, so, so it's not all been bad, but it has been challenging. Um, not seeing each other, not being able to, I mean, this Zoom thing and everything is, is great, um, and, and moving forward, again, another positive thing, because I would be driving all over Kent, uh, environmentally, mm. that's not a great thing to do. We can have meetings like this, which which are brilliant, but there are certain things that you, you need, you need to be in the same room yeah, people, to do yeah. development and stuff like that, so that's good. And I guess our biggest challenge, obviously, was the schools stopping and starting, opening and closing. Um, and and having to think on our feet and saying well if the kids are at home then we need to do this and we need to do it. and and i think the team really sort of stepped up to the challenge actually um so in a way actually it made my job a little bit easier um because it wasn't just me saying we're going to do it differently we have to do it differently so from that respect yeah it, it wasn't that bad yeah well i guess it's pretty tough if you you know you come into a new position like that if you're running at pace to actually make change is quite difficult you've got it because you've yeah. got the day job to be doing all at the same time and that's something a lot of people struggle with is that they're working on something so it's actually very difficult to stop and go actually we, we want to reconsider how we work our social media what we do with our website all those kind of things so give, i think it's it's been interesting to hear a lot of people have talked about this is obviously very very challenging it's been a you know it's been a terrible experience for a lot of people but but there is opportunity there as well there is a, an, a way of turning that around and making you know using the time effectively yeah. and i guess uh, you know for your team as well it must be mo you must be motivated by the fact that you know with all the homeschooling with everything that's been going on the need for what you provide must only have increased over the course of the last year um uh, yeah absolutely and I, and I think we we are very very conscious at the moment um 
that come September. I, I mean, we, we're working on our Busters um, book club. We're working on a secondary version of that purely and simply because we're very aware that so many kids have actually transitioned during this period who have missed so much, so they're going to be so far behind. So we're, we're, we're trying to put together um, a secondary one. But um, I, I think it's fair to say that one, one, one of the passions that I brought to the organisation was putting children at the forefront uh, uh, um, without sort of... I think that might have got a little bit lost along the way with, with, with some of the tip, but it's very much at the fore now. Uh, and that is one of the things that I, I do tend to remind them of, uh, not that they need them because they all know, but um, when it is a motivating factor to basically say, look, this is why we're doing this. Because it was very easy at this time, um, and me as well to get really caught up in the finances and we need to make money we need to do this we need to do that and and, and start forgetting about why we're doing what we're doing what's the point and so keep bringing it back to well this is why we're doing it this is this is i i mean it's really weird working for charity because it's it's kind of the only sector that you're really working towards making yourself redundant <laughs> yeah um I mean, the whole reason for us doing what we're doing is so that we don't exist, so that we're not needed. Um, likelihood of getting there is pretty remote, but that that is, so just, um, it was very difficult at times um, because we were, I, I mean, we were just rebudgeting on a weekly basis um, and furlough and this and that and blah, 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 and, and, and literally going month by month at the moment. We're, we're, we're doing all right at the minute, um, but we're certainly not out of the woods. But it was those moments of, yeah, just, just making sure that we, we remembered why we're doing it and not just focusing on the money all the mm. time. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people, when they think about people that work for charities, I think you imagine, exactly as you just described, having that, knowing why you're there, knowing what you're doing. But I think sometimes people forget about the actual, the business of running a charity. The, this is a, you know, you talk there about constant rebudgeting. Tell me a little bit about the difference between running a charity and running, you know, what, what you would normally refer to as a commercial business, a business whose only job is to make money. Uh, well, I, I guess the only difference is that we don't call it a profit. We call it a surplus. <laughs> um, and we don't have much of a surplus. Um, but I, yeah, I, I do that. I mean, Often in my career, I've heard people sort of talk about, um, oh, I don't know, when, when they're doing it, oh, don't give money to Oxfam because certain percentage of it doesn't, only a tiny percentage of it goes to where it's supposed to go to. And I don't think people realise, I, I don't do this for nothing. I, I My salary needs to get paid. And as the CEO, I, I'm not only trying to keep my, the charity afloat to do the good, but I also have responsibility for keeping my staff in jobs as well because it's their livelihood is what they do so or that there's we, we we still have to comply for example with the gdpr issues which for charities has been a, a huge issue because it really limits us on on what we can and can't do from a marketing perspective etc so that, that was a big game changer for a lot of charities but there are those responsibilities i mentioned that i had to make um three people redundant that was an awful thing to have to do and it was a really difficult decision so i don't that wouldn't be any different in in a for profit or i guess the only difference for me was i i don't necessarily need to look at the the bottom line as such 
Um, I'm not paying dividends to my um, board members or all the rest of it. I look at can we deliver and can I pay the wages next month? Um, and do we have enough in reserves to do the wind up? So we can we can work to those those lower margins. Um, but the decisions and um, the compliance and all of the rest of it involved, it's it's the same. Um, it, it very much is the same. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people just think of us as really quite fluffy and nice, but the, but charities won't last unless um, you, you've got good management and good leadership. I mean, from again, my, my team, um, one member of my team, my finance manager, I would have been lost without Kerry. Um, we've, we've worked. And it, I guess that was another thing as well. With, with me starting so early on, um, Kerry and I didn't even know each other. <laughs> Uh, and then all of a sudden we we are literally on three hour long conference calls. And if we do this and if we, and, and, and yeah, so making those decisions, well, I'd like to think that um, a lot of organizations out there have made decisions to do the best for their team. But I, 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 I would tend to think, and some organizations that I know worry more about the bottom line than their people. I tend to worry about my people more than the bottom line, but, obviously have to be practical about that as yeah, well absolutely yeah. absolutely and um, one of the things we talk a lot about is um we talk a lot about thinking of thinking like your customer really getting to the head of the person that you're trying to market to now i imagine you have a number of different customers you've got your uh you know where you get your funding from whether that be private individual sponsorships things like that and also government funding and and those sorts of things you talked before about the challenges that you face as a as a charity that is all about prevention rather than solving a problem that already exists. Just tell me a little bit about yeah. um, how you get what you need from the people that you need to fund your various activities. Um, I mean, I suppose from our corporate sponsorship, um, this was one of the issues that I had when I came in um, with the charity. We had a lot of corporate sponsors and uh, there was a bit of a disconnect. It, it, it was, um, and again, it was, it was more about, it, it seemed to be, well, we've got their money and we get their money by saying we're going to promote them. And I, I, I actually spun that on its head and said, well, actually, I, I, I want to promote the reasons you're giving us money. I want to remind you of why you're doing it. So I do um, have meetings, etc. Obviously, this was one of the big plans that didn't work, uh, but talked to them all and said, I'd, I'd like to get you involved. So if you're going to sponsor a programme, I'd like you to, rather than us just writing a story and putting it on our website, I'd like to write a story about you going in and doing a story time with the kids or joining a walking bus or what have you. So um, my approach is to make that to give them a little bit of a taster of what it is they're actually contributing to. And the vast majority of them are really appreciative of that. Um, as far as, so there are different things, uh, different sort of relationships in that respect. As far as funders are concerned um, and trusts and foundations, it very much comes down to, um, and sometimes it's very frustrating, but it's all about evidence. Uh, they, they want evidence. Um, one of our difficulties is proving that um, little Johnny, who does our program, goes into secondary school and has a really great time. But if he didn't have our program, he would have ended up in a PRU. We can't prove that. What we can prove is, uh, and so you have to get clever 
um, and talk about uh, the the improvement in reading levels. So school scores and, and, and stuff like that are all taken into account as well. But it's all about stories. Um, and it, as it is with most charities, I mean, you've probably seen the Dogs Trust and all the rest of it. It's all about emotion and it's all about stories and it's all about telling people um, the difference you can make. Um, so for, from a marketing point of view, um, it is about saying, well, this is what we do and this is why we do it. So I guess from a difference, um, from a, I suppose, a, a corporation or what have you, it's not about what you're going to get out of it. It's what you're going to give to somebody else by giving us money. This is what we will do for someone else. And, and that's pretty much across the board with all charities, I, I, I would hope. Anyway. Yeah, I, I, so that, yeah, absolutely. And I think we talk a lot about, authenticity people you know it's, it's you know one of everyone's favorite words at the moment and talking about you know how we can be more authentic how, how important would you say authenticity is in marketing across the board irrespective of charity or a, or a commercial business uh, well i personally think it's really important <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think it happens all the time um but uh um certainly uh from from, from our our perspective it I mean, like, like I sort of mentioned before, it, it's actually getting it out there and saying um, I, what one ad that's just popped into my head. And it is a charity one. It, it's, it's about the donkeys and the donkey sanctuary and what have you. And they show these pictures of these tragic donkeys um, really abused, et cetera, et cetera. That's really I wouldn't know about that unless somebody told me about it. And that does tug at the heartstrings. Um, and, and so, yeah, the, um, but if it was suddenly found out that actually they've just knocked up a, an image of a donkey that isn't really like that, or what have you, then then they're, they're stuffed basically. They're, then um, their whole brand. So um, for for us in particular, we have to be authentic about it. We have to we have to be truthful. Um, and there's no point in not being truthful because we. We're trying to get money so that we can help these children. So um, certainly from a charity perspective, for, from a corporate perspective, I think you have to ask a corporate. Um, I'm sure there are certain ones out there that do tell the truth and others that um, I'm not convinced about the head, head and shoulders ads. I know that the, the scientists are not really scientists. <laughs> <laughs> so I think authenticity is a grey area in certain yeah. areas. And it's a bit like you said before, it's the difference between someone writing a check or you know sending some money to your organization or getting involved in the organization and i think that's you know and whilst both have enormous value i'm absolutely certain um the person that really wants to get involved that that to me feels a much more authentic way of getting involved with a charity it, it is and it isn't i, I, I uh, we we do want um i mean happy if somebody wants us to write a check and let's <laughs> yeah. get on with doing what we do um but there is a fine line there. And, and sometimes there are expectations that are unrealistic um and i i am specifically speaking for um children's and youth charities as well um because we have um so many requirements that, that, that there are certain things that they just can't do because they have to have DBS checks and things like that. Um, no, no you, no, you can't go into the school. And, and I, I mean, it needs to be. So, so there are some people who are very unrealistic about what they can and what they can't do. Um, when we're speaking to our sponsors saying it's story time, that would be all prearranged or what have you. But we have other sponsors who say, who just rock up at a school 
um, and, and they can't do that. So, and, and volunteering. So, for example, um, we have, we're just developing our VIP program, which is kind of one-on-one with um, a child who's, who's been identified as struggling. Um, no, they can't just go in and do that. Uh, they need to go through training. They need to be DBS checked, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a, there is a certain amount of um, reality checking, whereas a lot of people, and certainly bigger organisations who have, um, they don't necessarily give money. They want to give their staff time. Well, that's fine. But in some organisations, when they oh, we really want to, there's only so many times you can get them to paint a wall, to be quite honest. Yes. Um, and, and, and so sometimes... You just just the money is the best, yeah. That's... So that we can do the job that we want to do. There are opportunities, but the cold hard truth of it is we can't do what we do without mm. money. Yeah. Um, because I, I've got people's salaries to pay. Um that that's kind of the bottom line, yeah, really. No, it makes perfect sense. So we, sometimes when we talk about marketing, marketing gets a bit of a bad rep sometimes. Certainly when you combine it with sales, people think it's a bit mucky sometimes. And I and I'd certainly have spoken to many, many people who pull back from the idea of marketing because they want to do what they do and, and you know we see this in, in a lot of different businesses they want to do what they do telling people about it just feels a little bit icky and but in reality if you don't do that you aren't going to get in front of the people that you need you aren't going to get the money that you need how how important yep. is marketing within your charity um it's it's hugely important it's become much more important actually uh in fact a meeting i've just had this morning is um uh looking at seeing where we can get some money to put a decent marketing budget together um i i mean it's we do so many different initiatives that that if you use the same channels all the time then you just become white noise so so marketing is is hugely important but it's very I think for a lot of people out there as well, when they think of charities as well, and, and you want money for marketing, et cetera, et cetera, they don't understand it. They think that that's, that's um, a waste because it's not going directly to the front line. But on the flip side of that, if we don't market properly and we don't get our message out and we don't tell people what I do, then we can't actually reach the children and the organisations that we need to reach to be able to offer them the help because they don't know that we're here. Um so it it can be sometimes, and, and generally speaking, it yeah, the outsiders looking in don't get it, um, and, and they do think, and it's back to my Oxfam um, thing and saying like, well, eighty percent of it goes into administration and marketing. Well, those television ads have got to be paid for. People are not doing it for nothing, um, and and so yeah, marketing is is hugely important, and, and it's something that we sit. I don't think that we've done well enough in the past. It's something that I'm quite passionate about, but it's also weighing up the, the cost um, and um, the outcome of it. And so getting an identified marketing budget is something that's really important. Well, it's exactly like, as you said before, it's just, just like any business, isn't it? You have to look at what's the investment, Absolutely. what's the return going to be. But, and, and it, but it's just even more responsibility, I suppose, when you know that every pound that you spend needs to return X number of pounds back because ultimately they're going to the front line. They're the things that are going to help people. Whereas, you know, they're not just uh, lining investors' pockets or, you know, paying dividends or things like that. So, so there is a big responsibility when choosing what to do with marketing spend. So oh, yeah, yeah. when you think about your marketing strategy, I'd be just interested to know what would you say the most important thing in your marketing strategy at the moment is? Oh, 
Um, well, at the moment, we're, I, I mean, I, I guess we're in uh, a situation where we're, we're really trying to juggle marketing and, and um, the most doing it the most cost effective way because we, we, we just don't have that. And that is the big issue with us, because I, I guess one of the things that uh, we, we've got a few projects happening at the moment, which are our fundraising events. Um, we've got the Busters Big Festive rerun. We've got uh, Absail coming up we, um, and they're all to raise money. But it's looking at um, very much the, the cheapest option of getting that message out. And it is it is a double edged sword. We don't really want to spend too much money on, on that because it's not our core thing, but it is going to raise money for us. And if we don't get the message out, then we're not going to get participants involved in it. So we we it is a juggling act at the moment of trying to see, well, where can we do this for free, basically? Um, so, so social media has been huge um, and we've really upped our game on that. But um, we, we have um, and, and it's making lots of phone calls, um, particularly when people have got publication deadlines coming up and saying, well, you know, you said it was going to be 15 grand or what have you. Well, you've got a space there and it's going to print next week and we can give you. And so we, we've done a few deals like that. But it is. Yeah, it's difficult. Uh, um, but. So the most important part for me at the moment is finding the most suitable place for the cheapest price. And it is all about money again, mm. unfortunately. No. Um, but again, we're looking at um, very much moving forward of, of really trying to identify some funding for a marketing budget so that we can do things better because it is important. Mm. No, totally, totally. What what advice would you give to another charity that say has has struggled over the course of the last year, is struggling to get people to donate, doesn't maybe have the the sort of network that you guys have got already? What would you suggest that they think about doing? Which which tactics do you find have worked the best for you? Um, like I said, I mean, social media can be great, um, but I I would advise them to actually, if they don't really know about social media, then they they need to actually speak to a social media expert. And there are plenty of people out there that will give them advice for nothing. I mean, just simple things like um, if you don't share other people's stuff, then nobody's going to share your stuff. Specifically asking the question and saying, please share when, when you put something up there. Um, it's all very well getting likes, but um, likes isn't actually getting the message out there. Um, so social media, And that's a quick and easy win to do as well. Um, Think about videos as well. Everybody can do it on their smartphones as well. Um, it's much easier for people to actually see a quick video um, rather than read. Keep your message and get a good message as well. Get 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 a succinct message too. But also, I guess a lot of time on the phone and ask, asking um, asking around and, and seeing if you can get stuff for free, really. Um, we had a tradition in this organization before I came of doing lots of um, sort of paper based mail outs, um, which we don't do anymore. Um, one, we're an environmental yeah. charity, and I was just thinking the trees. <laughs> um, but two, it doesn't do any good either. Um, we, we were sending out posters and bits of paper to schools, and, and they were going in the bin. Uh, one example is that. Um, we didn't do any mail outs this year for our teacher of the account teacher of the year awards. Um, not one piece of paper was posted to anybody. It was all done by email or social media marketing. We've had more nominations this year than we've ever had before. 
Um, so you don't need to go down that road. It doesn't need to be that expensive. And also, if you are doing stuff like that, you should really seriously be looking at the costs and saying, well, OK, that's cost me X amount. But if I have one ad that went in this targeted publication, I would get more people seeing it than it just going in the, the bin because it's junk mail, basically. Yeah, I mean, that, that is such such awesome advice that the, that everything you've said before about focusing your spend knowing you know knowing who you want to talk to knowing which channels you need to be in which ones you want to be using and just and surgically yeah. striking those individual things so that you get most return because i think so many people look at social media and they go ah there's so much choice here i could be on absolutely every channel i need to be doing tiktoks over here and snapchats over there and instagram over there and, it, and they get totally overwhelmed they do it for a week and then they give up and don't do any more but from what you're saying it's just it's knowing who who you're trying to talk to and really focusing in on those Absolutely. those angles and and also i i, I guess basically one size doesn't fit all so for the cycling uh, we, we've got a, the east kent bike ride coming up and for that particular event um we would be looking at cycling groups um on facebook or what have you and if we do a facebook ad for example we we would target those groups so um, I, th I think a lot of people get caught up and, and certainly it was one of the things here is who is our target audience? Well, our target audience isn't just one, per one, one group of people. It really seriously depends on what we're actually doing. Um, so for Buster's Book Club, again, our target audience was always seen as schools. Well, it's not just schools. Um, it's parents, it's um, community groups, it's teachers, etc. Um, it, it, it's that whole community as well. And, um, uh, and yeah, so for the cycling groups, but really try and, and it's not rocket science. No. It's really not rocket science. I mean, if you're doing a cycling event, then who are the people likely to want to do it? And it's cyclists. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, just think logically. But if you try and do one targeted ad, um, is worth probably 10 times a scattergun approach, to be mm. honest, because you're getting to the people who may actually potentially be interested. In yeah, so many, so many people think, you know, they either go in two different directions. It's either, oh, everyone could be my customer. So anyone could, could potentially take part. Anyone yeah. could donate. So therefore, we'll just try and target everyone, which is a, obviously is never going to work or you, unless you've got a huge budget, almost impossible. Or they go yeah. too narrow and say, well, this is our customer. This one person is our customer. And they try and target there rather than doing what you just described, which is we always say this the same thing. It's not rocket science. You, you, If you stop and think logically about how you would want to communicate with somebody, you can do it. It's just when people get bogged down by Facebook targeting or what they need to, you know, yeah. or hashtags or anything like that, they start getting muddled up. But if you just stop and think we're doing a bike ride, who would be most likely to go on a bike ride? Exactly, that's a perfect way of describing it, I think, is uh, I'll probably use that if that's okay. But yeah, if you're trying to do a bike ride, no, that's fine, please. then go to cyclists. That's the right answer, isn't it? It's not It's not complicated. Don't overcomplicate it. Yeah, no, it, 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 I, well, yeah, no it, it's really not. Um, and, and I guess, I mean, I, I, I did years ago, I, I, I did an MA in um, media and education, and one of the... Um, units was uh, oh god what do they call it social marketing or what have you and I was really amazed to find out and I want to share this people with um, basically uh, not smoke non-smoking ads now everybody would assume that non-smoking ads are actually targeting smokers they're not they're targeting non-smokers because the government wants non-smokers to see that they're actually trying to do wow. something 
Um, so no, stop smoking ads has never stopped anybody smoking. I was a smoker for years. It certainly didn't. And even the little pictures on, on the back, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, whatever. I'll just light up another one. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it's sometimes not not obvious what, what's doing, but most of the time it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, thank you so much. We're coming to the end of our time, but, Mike, I really appreciated That's your great. time today. That's been – I think there's some really, really great takeaways from that that i hope people will be able to put into action and, and use some of that because it's 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 really really valuable stuff that i think could work for pretty much any any organization mike how can people get involved with km charity team i i mean i guess the, the first t- place to go is our website which is kmcharityteam.co.uk and um, there's a brochure on there with all of our um, initiatives and we've got quite a few um there is um also a link to our um sort of events um that they can get involved in and participate in i mean the big one and this is this is for everybody across the country is um the big festive rerun um and we came, i i kind of came up with this idea because christmas was just so it was rubbish wasn't it? this year and um, when we were in Australia, in, in Sydney anyway, um, there, was a, there was a bit of a tradition in the Blue Mountains of doing Christmas in July. And I just thought, I, you know, I, I, I'm just doing this again. I'm not, I'm not doing that because it was just awful. So I'd already planned to do Christmas in July. And then we had a bit of a chat with the team and said, well, it's not just Christmas, is it? It's birthdays, it's anniversaries, it's Diwali. It, 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 so many people have missed so much. And so we came up with this idea that if during July and August, people rerun the events that they've missed, uh, they can sign up on the website. It'll cost them a five to sign up. They go into a prize drawer. They get lots of little bits and bobs that they, they can help, that will help their party go along. But they can also nominate a charity of their choice. And very specifically, we want local charities. Um, charge their guests a fiver get them to donate to their designated fundraising page and that um, charity will receive 80% of anything that they raise. So it's just a way, charities where 100 quid's gonna make a difference, basically. Um, so that's that's a way that they can seriously get involved across the country. Um, and I think it'd be great if they did. To be yeah, honest. I love that. I love the fact that you're you're not just thinking about your charity there. You're helping those charities that just don't have a huge. They don't have a marketing budget. They aren't able to market widely to lots and lots of people. But they are. There's so many amazing organisations doing amazing work in in small communities that just don't get they don't get the credit they deserve and they don't and and, and uh, it, I, i'm very passionate about that as well because they are the type of small organizations that we only notice them when they're not there thanks again mike for joining us today and please do go and check out km charity team you'll find all the links as always in the show notes so you can go and check out all the amazing work they do and get involved if you possibly can this was originally meant to be the final episode of the Charity Leaders podcast. However, whilst we were recording, we've had a really exciting opportunity to have one more episode. So we're going to be releasing that next week. So please do come back again next week for a really, really interesting interview that I'm really, really excited to bring to you. We'd love it if you go to 33percent.co.uk where you can find out all about the work that we do for charities and for all sorts of other types of small businesses to help them with their marketing strategies. So please do go and check it out. By all means, 
check out the previous episodes of this podcast share them with a friend if you think someone might get some value from some of the amazing people we've spoken to we'd love uh, love to hear what you think and we'd love to spread the word from these amazing amazing people we've spoken to over the course of the last six weeks until next week for our final bonus episode we'll see you next time Thank you.